0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can head over to blisterreview.com, where if you haven't checked it out already, for inexplicable reasons, you can now find our brand new digital edition of our 2021 Winter Buyer's Guide. And fun fact here, somebody let me know this week... That over on Reddit, on the Reddit skiing forum, whoever the moderator is for that skiing forum has pinned, you know, as the first message at the top of the forum, a link where it just tells people, if you're looking to buy skis, go check out the Blister Winter Buyer's Guide. There's a link to one buyer's guide in the world, and it's the Blister Guide. So... Shout out to whoever the moderator is at Reddit, appreciate it, and uh, you know, I don't know what to say, if it's good enough for the Reddit Skiing Forum and their 930,000 some subscribers, might be good enough for you, check it out. Okay, today we've got another edition of Shop Talk for you, where we talk with one of our various Blister Recommended Shops to get a shop's perspective on a mix of topics that range from broadly applicable to all of us, regardless of where we live, to some topics that help us better understand what's going on in the specific local community that the shop happens to be a part of. And so today we are sharing a really good and really informative conversation that I recently had with John Weir of Bentgate, which is located in Golden, Colorado. John and I talk about fitting AT boots. We talk about the rise of split boarding. John offers several really good predictions for this upcoming season. He talks about some of the precautions and protocols that Bentgate is taking and putting in place for this winter. And of course, you know, we get into some other stuff too. All right, and just before we get started, I want to remind Blister members that you should all check your inbox for an email that we sent out earlier this week about this new Blister Summit that we are launching this season. We've had a terrific response so far to this news about the summit. We will be sending more information out this coming week about the summit. And so if you have yet to become a blister member or have been on the fence about doing that, I would encourage you to become one now so that you will be among the first people to get a chance to sign up for the summit and make sure you get a spot. And then of course, by virtue of becoming a blister member, you also get access to a number of exclusive blister member deals that will get you such good discounts on gear and services that it literally makes the blister membership pay for itself we're not kidding folks it pays for itself and then you will also get access to all of the content that we publish on blister including our deep dive comparisons We've got a new deep dive coming out today, as well as our flash reviews, and it also comes with a free print edition of our lovely winter buyer's guide, you know, the one they like on Reddit. And furthermore, becoming a Blister member is the single best way that you can support the work that we are doing here at Blister, including, you know, pumping out all these podcast conversations like we do here on Gear 30 and the Blister podcast and Bikes and Big Ideas and Off the Couch. So, you know, in a time where quite a few outdoor focused media companies are being shut down right in front of our eyes. That is a good reminder that we all need to support the people and the outlets that provide us with services and information and entertainment that bring us actual value. So go to blisterreview.com, go to the navigation bar that's at the top of every single web page on the site and just go to where it says become a blister member and then, you know, become a blister member. And thank you for doing that. Seriously, from all of us here at Blister. And with that, let's now get to my excellent conversation with John Weir. Okay, well, I am happy to be talking with John Weir. And so, John, first question, tell us a little bit about Bentgate. Where is it located? What is this shop about?
1: Yeah, Bentgate Mountaineering got its start back in uh, 1994 in Golden, Colorado, and really looking to fill that niche of mountaineering and climbing shops as uh, the popularity grew in Colorado. Uh, one of the hardest things back in the 90s was getting good high quality mountaineering gear into the States. You know, it was all over Europe, uh, but you really needed like co ops to uh, import, you know, that super high end climbing gear. Um, Greg Floyd, our owner, got started back then, you know, kind of cowboy style, got up and running in the spirit of Golden. Uh, and we've been there 25 years now. Um, so have been rolling ever since right on Main Street. Uh, We've really focused on building a community around climbing and backcountry skiing. Uh, We've been, you know, one of the destination shops in Colorado, especially for that backcountry skiing gear uh, and some of the more unique backcountry gear like telemark skiing, splitboarding, and then continuing with our roots in alpine climbing, trad climbing, and, uh, you know, being that kind of specialty retailer in that adventure space.
0: Wow, that was really well done kudos to you. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think Greg could have done it that nicely and succinctly. So I'm glad we're talking to you today, not him. Um, And tell me a little bit about your own background.
1: Yeah. So I got my start uh, with skiing uh, a few years ago, really. I I grew up on the East coast skiing in New York, um, but it was really, you know, kind of a hobby um, until I went to college and, you know, dove. Right in, went to school upstate New York, cut my teeth on some nasty icy mountains like Whiteface and and Titus up there and uh, really fell in love with sport. Uh, Moved out to Colorado about 10 years ago um, and immediately went into that ski bum life. Making snow and teaching skiing at Eldora Mountain, and uh, you know, taught skiing for five years up in Summit County and uh, at Copper Mountain, and eventually moved over to the boot fitting world. Um, really dove into that up in uh, store up in Frisco, and um, eventually moved down to Golden. Started working with Bankate and really helped develop uh, their their current fitting uh, in terms of backcountry boots. It's a really kind of a unique zone of of ski boot fitting it kind of goes against a lot of the traditional values of ski boot fitting by creating you know a comfort performance fit um and making sure that people can be out in their boots all day um and still getting that great performance but not losing toenails uh so been with bank now five years um done a variety of stuff for them uh everything from you know running marketing and events to managing the floor um running the tune shop and uh, kind of Jack of all trades, you know, tiny business, got to do everything.
0: They have kind of either pushed you away or moved you up the ladder, however one wants (laughs) to view these things. So you are currently the marketing manager, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Working as the marketing manager, digital and and print.
0: (laughs) You want to know how I know you're in marketing now? Because you just used the phrase comfort performance fit. (laughs) <laughs> That's the most marketing thing I've ever heard. We just took two things that are usually viewed as opposite things. And then you're the marketing brain you've now developed. You just mushed those two things together. Okay. Literally the first time I've heard the phrase comfort performance fit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You know, you're good you, at this. got to make it happen, right? You did. <laughs>
0: um, okay. Well, let's let's stay on that for just a second. I mean, You know, for those who might not know, why am I giving you a hard time about this notion of a comfort performance fit and suggesting that we often speak of these things as if it's you get one or the other? Yeah,
1: of course. Uh, You know, the traditional way of ski boot fitting is, you know, find the tightest fitting boot that someone can, you know, tolerate and then go two sizes down from (laughs) there. You know, yes. and uh, yeah. you know, break out, break out the Crisco to get them in there. Um, you know, and that that comes from a traditional race background. So, I mean, it's similar to climbing shoes. You know, that tighter fit, the more performance you have, the more direct power you're going to transfer to the skis. And uh, you know, it's a very old school philosophy, and uh, it's really shifted even in the alpine world away from that painful fit um, into something more comfortable, right? People want to be able to be out there all day without losing that toenails. One of the most important things in the backcountry, though, is that you're you're really walking, right? That's one thing that people, you know, they look at these Instagram photos of people getting face shots, and they realize that's like 30 seconds of skiing for three hours of walking, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's uh, really something to build a boot that you can be in all day um and so by changing kind of the fit philosophy to maximizing that really tight fit to something that someone can stand around in you know we tell our customers once they get the boots it's like go watch your favorite netflix show go binge on it for like six hours on the couch if your feet don't fall asleep you know and you don't want to rip them off you're you're in a good space and so having that performance fit you know is it's great for the alpine but doesn't translate all that well to the backcountry when you have to walk around for a couple hours. So that's that's where that that kind of backcountry fit really comes from.
0: Let's talk about some predictions. Now, for the coming season, you know, we are going to be talking with some different shops. I mean, we did this kind of shop talk conversation with uh with Black Sheep Sports in Munich, Germany, and it's I think really interesting to kind of hear from these different shops in different parts of the world and different parts of the country, etc. You know, we're all peering into the crystal ball and doing our best to kind of, you know, predict what's going to be coming. So, what do you have for us? You got a few predictions for this coming season?
1: Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about this in the office uh, just yesterday. You know, we also run a bike shop in Golden. And uh, anybody who's been privy to kind of the bike world or tried to buy, uh, you know, anything as basic as uh, bike tubes this summer knows that uh, the industry um, has seen a flush of new people interested in in getting in the outdoors. And so just like we've seen in the biking world, we're already starting to see it in the ski world as well, especially in the backcountry. Uh one of the things that happened when the resort shut down last year is there was a rush on skins, climbing skins. Uh all the people who had bought, you know, shift crossover bindings that were going to, you know, ski on resort and maybe one day go touring, all of a sudden came knocking on our door and uh wanted to buy skins for that outfit, you know. And it's uh, one of those things where when there is a limited amount of resources to go around, you know, everything sells out. And so we're already seeing it, especially in some of the more niche uh, markets like splitboarding. Uh, some of the more cottage industry companies like Spark R&D and Karakorum are already flying off the shelves and we're having a really hard time getting reorders for that stuff. And so that would be kind of one of the first predictions. I think it's gonna follow much like the bike world. And people are gonna be chomping at the bit to get out there. They you know think the backcountry is going to be the solution to all their Vail Resort reservation problems and they're gonna to try to snatch up gear as quickly as they can.
0: It's really interesting because these past months we've been talking with a number of shops and maybe even more manufacturers. And you know, I kind of have been posing this question a lot to them and have, you know, been sort of doing exactly what you just talked about being like, hey, if like, look at what just happened in the bike industry, you know, I actually kind of think we could see something similar. And I have to say, it's been interesting dating back, say three to four weeks ago to 10 weeks ago in that time of, kind of time frame, I talked to a lot of ski manufacturers who were not convinced Like not convinced we were gonna kind of see a bit of a mirroring of what we've seen in the bike industry, which is you can't buy anything, right? But you're saying at the shop you're already seeing it happen. The orders are the orders are coming in.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of a difference between the traditional alpine resort industry and kind of the backcountry as well. You know, I think there's a lot of trepidation going into the way the resorts have not come out, you know, a lot of them have not come out and said, this is how things are running. You know, fair enough. It's pretty hard to predict, you know, how you're going to manage a couple thousand people on a Saturday, you know, and safely, you know, have safety for your employees, safety for those clients of yours. On the flip side, the backcountry seems to be this solution that people think, you know, I don't need a pass. Nobody can tell me where to go. Uh, I'm going to just get out there and get those powder turns. Um, and whether for good or for bad, you know, we have a lot of people who are very interested in getting into the sport that I don't think would have jumped right in, you know, six months ago last year, you know, they might've, you know, kind of dipped their toes in with, you know, a single hut trip or rent some gear or, or something like that. But, uh, um, with the uncertainty around the resorts, I think a lot of people are like, Yep, this backcountry thing sounds awesome, looks awesome. This is my solution to skiing this year.
0: Right. And we are going to talk more about that dynamic in a bit here. But before we do, I want to kind of come back for a second on split boarding in particular. And you and I were actually talking a few days ago about this. And I, I think it's just really interesting that I think it's safe to say that in terms of The whole backcountry thing and AT equipment, we have seen a quicker uptake on that on the ski side of things than on the snowboard side of things. One, do you agree with that? Like that skiers have kind of made the move to kind of AT gear, like say faster than snowboarders like generally or collectively have. That's the first question. And then the second thing, I guess, sort of my prediction, but it's like, This kind of feels like the perfect set of circumstances to now see that uptick or that new adoption on the snowboard side. For all the reasons you just said, where like split boarding is about to see its uptick that maybe we've kind of already seen a bit, you know, a season or two or three earlier on the ski side. What do you make of all of that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think historically, you know, skiing has been a backcountry sport, right? You, you go back to Norway, you know, and, and Nordic skiing, strapping, you know, whale, you know, or seal, you know, seal leather to a, a wooden plank and, you know, telemarking around, you know, skiing typically has always been a very efficient way of traveling in the backcountry, right? And so I think that legacy is long lasting with hut touring throughout Europe um, and, you I think it's taken a while for snowboarding, just by the design of the sport, to build efficient enough equipment to to have you know kind of a mass appeal to it. Uh, we got our start back uh, in you know I think earliest like two thousand four or five, bringing in uh, volet split boards because people were asking about it. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a big interest um, for a long time. I just don't think there's been as much mass appeal Mm -hmm. for split boarding because the equipment just hasn't been there. And so it's, you know, kind of that, uh, you know, feel the dream scenario, build it and they will come. Mm -hmm. And it's really been some of these cottage industries that I was talking about, like Spark R&D, Volet, uh, Caracorum on the binding side, you know, which is one of the more technical aspects of it. Um, along with, you know, really awesome companies like Westin, Never Summer Jones, really building a, a unique culture around splitboarding, um, building that uh, desire. And I th- I think one of the cool things that we're really starting to see is that it is coming into the mainstream um, and it's very well-rounded as well. I think a, one of the unique things we see with a lot of people that coming coming into splitboarding, they tend to do a lot more research about the binding systems, about the boards. They really know their stuff when they come to the shop, opposed to a lot of the skiers we get come in. They're like, Hey, my buddy has this, uh, Dina, Dina's shift, uh, something binding, you know, um, where, you know, they saw, you know, somebody skiing around on the resort and they're like, yeah, that looks cool. I want to try that. Um, and so for split boarding to, we've seen constant growth year after year, um, with, you know, these brands like Jones and Weston and, uh, to the point where it's taken over a whole corner of our shop. You know, 10 years ago we had four split boards on the wall, you know, next to the telemark skis. Right. (laughs) And, uh, now we have a whole corner of our shop where people are coming in asking questions. We're setting up rentals, doing demos. And not only that, a lot of the guiding companies actually have split specific intro courses um, which is really cool you know split specific intro courses split specific avalanche courses um, there you know you are in a culture of split boarding um, which does have a little bit of different pacing um, than typical alpine touring um, you know in terms of terrain selection in terms of you know skin tracks in terms of all that stuff and so there is a little bit of a cultural difference there um, especially when you dive into it and a lot of splitboarders I know are like Yeah, I'll go out, you know, and tour with my skiing buddies. But like when we have a crew of split guys, it's really rad.
0: Next prediction of yours. And I think this one is related to something you just touched on talking about courses and classes. What do you got?
1: Yeah, you know, like, uh, you know, gear is flying off the shelves. um, We've always seen a big rush to enroll in avalanche safety courses, avi ones, um, intro courses, And, you know, we're already hearing from the guides, the guiding companies that we work with, uh, that they're filling up quickly. Uh, one of the things that we really try to drive home at the shop is that, you know, boots, the skis, the bindings, that is not your ticket. That's not your lift pass. That is still your equipment. Um, you really need to have a, at bare minimum, I would say an Abbey one or a lot of experience, Going out with someone who does have an Avy one, um, I will say that I ride with people who have not been trained, you know, in avalanche, and there's a different riding philosophy that I don't really vibe with. You know, it's really kind of a base standard. You know, when I'm going out and touring with new people, it's like beacon, shovel, probe, Avy one. It's like sweet, we're gonna have a good day. If I say that and they look at me funny, it's like. Sorry, man, I'm busy that day, you know. Um, and so getting uh, this, getting yourself enrolled in these classes, I think is going to be something that you want to do sooner rather than later. And a lot of people worry that they're not going to get a lot out of the class if they enroll early. You know, the snowpack might not be great. They might not see, you know, everything they really, uh, you know, are planning on. That's not really what the Avalanche 1 uh, curriculum is about you really you do some snow signs but it really is about group dynamic safety and rescue and terrain choices and that can't be taught in a book you know you really have to go out and visualize and practice with your equipment and that avalanche course really can't be replicated with just a you know three hour online course or you know as great as uh you know staying alive in avalanche terrain a great book that everybody should check out by bruce temper um, you know, that that experience cannot be replicated. Um, and you, you really build those relationships and understand how that group dynamic works. Um, that's one of the biggest issues in the backcountry, I feel is group dynamic, people not communicating, not being on the same page with their goals for that day. And that's when you get into trouble.
0: Have you guys found that there are a couple of things in particular that you can be doing to the new people coming into your shop? to kind of get them in the right mindset of like, Oh, I guess I'm not done just because I just got my new split board binding or a pair of shifts or something.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think dating back to a a few years, uh, the slide on Loveland pass, um, that killed, you know, a couple great guides and, and great instructors was kind of a wake up call to the Colorado community as a whole. Um, just really that, you know, we, we'd kind of become complacent in our education. We thought we knew, you know, a a lot of people were just going hard and, and thought they knew what they were doing. And it it was definitely a wake up call to like, oh shit, this can happen to anybody at any time. And I think a lot of the advocacy groups like Friends of Birth and Pass, Friends of CIAC, along with a lot of the guiding companies have really done a great job of, um, creating that awareness and creating a sense of reverence for the back country as well. Um, one of the things I constantly hear is that, you know, people are aware that it's not the same thing as going to the resort. Um, and they're not quite sure on how to change that, uh, but they, they know that it's definitely a higher risk and that they're kind of venturing into a little bit of the unknown one of our biggest challenges is kind of directing those people to the correct outlets um, to get their training. Uh, We have a lot of people who will come in and, you know, they'll have a budget set, right, for their skis, boots, and bindings. And, you know, fair enough, this stuff is really expensive. It's really hard to, you know, get out of our shop with skis, boots, bindings, skins, you know, under two grand. You know, that's, uh, a difficult thing to do, but the in the process not budgeting for the other stuff like Beacon, like Shovel, like probe. They're not budgeting for an avalanche course. They're not budget budgeting for like these other aspects. And uh, so one of the the hardest things we have to do is kind of create that expectation, like you said, hey, it doesn't stop here once I get everything mounted up, you know? Just because my skins are cut doesn't mean I'm ready to go hit birth and pass. Um, we really drive that home with our salespeople, And one of the things we, we really like to do at Bankate is create relationships. Um, it, it starts with a lot of the boot fitting that we do, but even people who come in, um, to get their skis mounted, to get, you know, check out new gear. We want to be that community shop. We want to be that resource for people. And so this year we're kind of doubling down on the, uh, the amount of, you know avalanche awareness that we're doing uh great guys over at bca kind of hooked us up with a a beacon a flashing beacon checker right there's nothing more blatant if you have this flashing light right right at the entrance of our ski wall that starts a conversation big yellow sign flashing light hey what is this about um so we're going to have that set up in our store and that's just going to be a conversation piece it's like hey man this is your beacon checker oh what's this this is today's snow report that's kind of cool. How do you read that? Um, creating those habits of checking your beacon, checking the snow report, um, making sure that you're aware of what's going on out in the backcountry really starts from the beginning of the sport. Um, if you start you know, going out without doing beacon checks in the parking lot, without looking at the forecast before you get out of service and you're on the top of Bertha Pass, you're going to create those bad habits and you're just going to keep doing that and it's going to perpetuate as you grow into the sport. And so starting with creating those good habits and that awareness right from the get-go, I think is is really important for new people in the sport. Um, And then the other thing we're doing is teaming up with a lot of these guiding companies. Uh, We're teaming up with Colorado Mountain College, with Irwin Guides, with Colorado Adventure Guides, and offering... um, kind of bank sponsored courses, um, where people, uh, one, one thing Irwin's doing is they're doing their classroom sessions online. So people can do their classroom sessions online midweek and then come down to their facility down in Crested Butte, uh, during the weekends. I think there's a great model, um, for getting more people into this, making it, uh, making the, that bar of admission a little bit lower, a little bit easier for people to get into, Another thing we hear from this guiding company is, is, is that people come into the sport uh, or come into their classes not quite ready to, to actually go on the tour, right? They maybe never even took the skin savers off their skins until they show up that morning for Avi One. And so working with them, we're, we're trying to get people into, um, I guess you could call it BC 101 courses, where people get a little bit of that avalanche awareness, but really go out and learn how to use their gear, how to make sure that their, everything is working, how to set a skin track, how to uh, you know transition efficiently without losing all your stuff or filling your bag with snow. Um, and these courses are very, very affordable and a great way for, for people to, hey, Get out there. Check it out. See if you like this sport before you drop, you know, two $2,000 on gear. You know, I've been spent a lot of time in the backcountry. And if 50% of those days are really good days, I think I'm doing well. You know, there is a lot of days I go out there where I, I'm sitting in the parking lot, especially Dawn Patrol. And I'm like, oh, man, I kind of wish I stayed in bed this morning. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so... Getting that used to, you know, hey, the backcountry will throw things at you that you're not aware of. Um, you know, let's get a little bit of training so that when you do that Abbey One course, you can really focus on learning the material instead of trying to figure out how to put your skin on. Or, right. Step or, you into know, your binding. Yeah. Step into your binding. You know, even packing your bag, you know, you, it's, you know, sometimes people bring 20 liter, you know, day packs, and, uh, you know, every time they open their zipper, everything just explodes out on the snow. So, those BC 101 courses, really look out for them. Colorado Adventure Guides is doing a great um, course. Um, you can come by Bankgate, get a discount card for that. Um, Irwin as well. Uh, we love those guys over there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a great way to get introduced into the sport. So that when you do sign up for that more expensive and, you know, kind of a lot of information in those Abby One courses, you're prepared and really can focus on that learning material instead of fidgeting with your gear.
0: All right, let's go to prediction number three for this coming season. What do you got?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, the biggest challenges we're going to see um, this year is kind of land management issues. Uh, we saw a little bit of this uh, right at the beginning of COVID, when uh, the Forest Service and you know various counties were shutting down trailheads, trying to prevent people from congregating. You know, the Cdot even plowed in you know the parking lot at Loveland Pass <laughs> to to prevent people from going there. And I think you know as people get interested in the backcountry, kind of really start going you know, to some of these more popular zones like Bertha Pass, like Loveland Pass, um, Cameron Pass. I think it's going to be a real challenge for these land management agencies to, one, manage the overflow parking and that sort of stuff on some of these areas. Um, I also think we are having a historic fire year right now in Colorado, and uh, it's it's affecting a lot of areas that are pretty popular for backcountry skiing. Um, And, you know, it's really... Sad and, and to watch, you know, areas like Cameron Pass, and um, you know, now spreading into Rocky Mountain. Um, you know, some of these are the, the, some of the more popular skiing zones in the front country, in the front range. And I think it's going to be uh, very touch and go, especially this year, um, because we're not, you know, we're not snow scientists. Uh, most backcountry, you know, skiers, and you know, to these zones will greatly be affected by the change in forest dynamic. Um, you know, all these trees burning could drastically change the way snow piles up in these zones. Um, you know, we're, me and a buddy were joking about, you know, oh, I mean, yeah, Cameron Pass needed some glading done anyway. You know, it's uh, pretty thick and overgrown. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, you know, we're going to be eating our words because the the vastness of these fires, I think, will have a profound effect on some of these zones for many years and, um, you know, so we're just going to have to be that much more cautious, um, when heading out into these areas where, you know, it's like, yeah, this used to be a forest, you know, with great tree cover, you know, really predictable snow in here, you know, now everything's burned out. It might act like a wide open bowl. You know, you might get crazy drifts going, you, you might not have these anchors and, um, you know, windshields that you had previously, And so, uh, I think especially for a lot of people in the front range, um, going to these popular areas and and hoping some of the weather coming in this weekend squashes some of these fires. But I think that's one thing that we're going to have to be aware of is it's, the forest is going to look different. And so we might have to change our, our scheme plans accordingly. Um, and then likewise, you know, as you know, COVID kind of spreads as stuff starts shutting down, you know, (laughs) There's a lot of, a lot of skiing out there, you know, it's there, you know, maybe don't head to birth it every weekend, you know, maybe try walking a little, a mile further and and checking out some new stuff. Um, and you know, there is always a little uncertainty with checking out new terrain and not knowing it. And there's, you know, at least for me, I'm super comfortable skiing birth it. I know most of the lines there, but this last season, just with the, the crowds, um, kind of pushed me to explore some different areas, um, along the front range, you know, up and in, up into the summit and, and Eagle County, um, and really had a rewarding experience, um, you know, kind of learning new terrain, um, skiing different lines that I really wouldn't ski. And so, um, especially for the more experienced guys, this might be the year to kind of break out of your, your typical, um, you know, zones that you're in and kind of expand your horizons a little bit.
0: That's a really great point. And I think that, I don't know, I'm starting to think that, like, maybe my key word for this coming season is adaptable. Like, be adaptable. And we need to be thinking about, like, how do we get through and navigate this winter in a responsible way, still doing the things that we love in a responsible way? And if that means, yeah... Getting into some different zones or trying to free up a schedule to not be in certain places on the weekend or during heavy mm-hmm. traffic times, like, that's, that's going to be the smart play, I think, for this winter, you know? I do love the fact, kind of, that, like, in the, the backcountry community... Like this is literally what we're supposed to do every single time we go into the mountains, right? Like literally, it's (laughs) not like this in a way, like we ought to be more used to this, more familiar with this Mm -hmm. because like every single morning, you know, at the trailhead or when we're looking at the map or looking at zones and is this a good place to be able to go? Like, I don't know. Like in a way... I do kind of feel like I, I would hope that the collective backcountry community is like, oh, okay, so fires took out all of these trees in this terrain. It's a bowl now. Or it's like, oh, there's going to be more people in this particular zone. Those are the assessments that we ought to be doing literally every day. And so I don't yeah, know. certainly. I mean, how to be out there and do it in a responsible manner. It's like, well, yeah, we, we hopefully are pretty used to doing that.
1: And I think along the same lines, um, we talk about this a lot in the shop, and it's it's really easy to become jaded. You know, I, I joke when I go out inverted. I'm like, where are all these people coming from? It's like, oh, I boot fitted that guy, I sold that guy his skis. You know, it's like it's like, oh, I'm, I'm causing this problem by uh, you know selling things to people. Um, but I think one of the things we really need to do is not become jaded about new users, um, and that really you know, takes, puts the onus on, you know, people who have been in the backcountry for a while. If you see someone struggling on the skin track, you know, maybe stop and and see what's going on. Maybe give them that tip that, you know, is going to make their day, you know, because you know, one, you never know when it's going to happen to you. You know, you never know when that tail clip is going to blow out and you're going to be stuck in the, you know, belay strapping your ski together. Right. And the other thing is that, you know, that person, when people start struggling, They start making poor decisions, right? And so if someone is having a hard time in the backcountry, you know, following, you know, a specific track, you know, maybe they don't follow that track all the way out. Maybe they bail into some dangerous terrain and, you know, either cause a slide on themselves or cause a slide on you hanging out at the bottom, you know. And so it is such a community and we really need to not become jaded by all these new people coming into the sport. Um, and I'm not saying you know take everybody under the wing. And if someone's being res- irresponsible, let them know. You know, let them know that hey, you know, I, you know, you guys aren't t- approaching this the right way. Uh, one of the biggest jokes is we'll you know be driving up Loveland Pass, and people will be asking for hitchhiking, right? And I'll turn on my beacon, and if they're not beeping, they don't get a ride to the top of the pass. Like <laughs> if you're out riding the pass and you don't have a beacon on, you're not hopping in the back of my car for that free ride to the top. But I think. It's important for us to make sure that, you know, we set good examples for people and not become jaded by the number of people out there and and really help foster a collective community around responsibility, around safety and around uh, reverence in the backcountry.
0: Well, hey, man, this has been really good. I think I want to just wrap up by talking a little bit about what. Bentgate is doing in these COVID times to, well, deal with these COVID times. So how similar or different are things looking at Bentgate today?
1: Yeah. You know, the spring was a big struggle for us. Um, you know, usually that time of year we're running our kind of clearance, season clearance sales, clearing out of everything. Um, and you know, we had to shut down for two months. Um, we were able to pivot and kind of use some of that time to uh, restructure our inventory, um, redo our entire e-comm site, um, get some of our guys who, you know, are typically selling stuff on the floor to be, you know, editing pictures and plugging stuff online. It was really kind of a cool thing to do. And, you know, something that I think is kind of unique to being that small business um, that, you know, larger companies might've not been able to utilize that time efficiently. Um, But our, all the restructuring that we did you know really has served us well um we're we're cranking full bore into you know the ski season and uh you know it's a very touchy thing because we want to be able to serve our customers um the way we always have um but with some of the restrictions um in place and and some of the uh trepidations around covid uh we've really had to modify the way we uh operate One of the biggest shifts we did this year, um, which is actually working out really well, um, is shifting our entire boot fitting program to a scheduled uh, boot fit only. And, you know, we had gotten a little bit of customer pushback from that. But for the most part, people are very understanding around it and are kind of appreciative that, um, one, they're able to work with a boot fitter one-on-one. Um, we've been able to provide proper PPE shields for both the customer and, you know, the boot fitters. We're taking temperatures at the door, making sure that we're not, um, you know, using try on socks that are spreading stuff, you know, sanitizing our workstations and really making sure that, you know, we're not adding to the spread of, you know, this terrible disease. Uh, and the other thing that's really worked out well in that is that the customers have really responded and made time in their lives to come get boots fit, which I think is a very valuable thing. Um, one of the worst things is, you know, someone comes in to try on some boots on their lunch break and, you know, you've done this assessment and halfway through, you're like, Hey man, I got a meeting coming up at one hard stop. I think I'm just going to get this boot now. You know, if that customer comes in three weeks later, man, Hey, I made a mistake. You think I could switch this thing out? Or, you know, it's felt great that, you know, 20 minutes I had it on. But so having the customer really engaged in that fit, coming in with their footbeds, coming in with their socks, giving that full hour and a half to go through the assessment, to go through trying on different boots, to go through the, the full molding process, I think has really allowed our staff to give them a better fit overall. And, you know, that is really what we you know, want to be able to do. We want to be able to give that one-on-one customer experience. We want to be able to build that relationship because boots more than anything else tends to be a relationship. And it's a lot easier um, to build that, you know, relationship between the customer and the boot fitter. If you don't have, you know, a million other things to going on, if you don't have emails to answer, if you don't have a meeting to hit at one o'clock. And uh, it's been a big success so far, and we're going to keep rolling with it.
0: So this is really interesting. So is it fair to say that you might just like to see the shop? I mean, even if, you know, if COVID disappeared from the world tomorrow, you'd still like to see like operations at Bentgate moving more toward like, yeah, like let's schedule all of our boot fits.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that's something that we're seeing, you know, it's, uh, you know, that commitment to the fit, you know, I think is something that's really, um, present in the customer when you have that scheduling aspect of it. And it, it also is less stress on our staff. One of our biggest complaints for our staff is, you know, that Sunday afternoon when they're trying to fit four people at the same time, it doesn't do the staff any good. It doesn't do those customers any good. And so that, that kind of, uh, paradigm shift, you know, I think is is working out well on both sides.
0: That's really cool. And yeah, I I think just seeing that where we move to more of a world where typically like any shop you were going to, it's like, yeah, I'm looking for a new ski boot. So I've made my appointment, right? I mean, I think for every, for all the reasons you've just said, I think that that's a better world. That world makes more sense. This is kind of what I was hoping for, right? Like, I think you've given us some really good, things to think about given bent gates specific location and you know and some things like challenges and things you're seeing like given where you are in golden colorado Mm -hmm. but i think that there's just a lot of other good general reminders like regardless of where somebody who's listening to this might be located themselves i gotta give you like a gold star for like getting the macro (laughs) and the micro i feel like you kind of nailed it here (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know we we try and it's you know it's i I know a lot of people at a lot of other shops through the country and you know you know we hear similar stories you know from our buddies up in uh you know summit and mountain outfitters and you know out in out in the Tetons and you know I think it's one of the the craziest things about you know this whole COVID thing, I think it created a lot of shared experiences uh, for people, and I think it it brought it made the world a lot smaller for a lot of people. And uh, you know we're we're kind of dealing with things, but uh, you know we're trying to relay those lessons to other people as well.
0: Well, very good. Well, a few conversations back, I guess we actually got to do that one in person because you came to CB and happened to be riding some bikes with friends and so we got to link (laughs) up in blister headquarters so this one we aren't doing in person but i look forward to the next one we get to have in person again so uh till then good luck with everything at bentgate seriously good luck like educating and working with the new people in the denver area that are going to be kind of entering into these sports and like it is a responsibility i think every shop every one of us is going to have a little bit of a different role to play here. And I think, you know, it's going to be important for all of us, as you've said, well, in this conversation to be like playing our little role, you guys have a pretty big one. So um, good luck. Yeah. Thanks buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Hey, we'll talk to you soon. And thanks again. Cheers. Okay. It is now that time to get to our weekly segment where we talk about what we are celebrating this week it is now exactly 11:14 p.m. on Thursday night. And I don't know if this is against the rules or not, but tonight I am raising my glass of 10-year-old whistle pig with a big cube of course, because that's how I roll. We're going to raise a glass to another beverage. Like is that legal with toasts? Can you toast another beverage? But anyway, I don't know. I hope it is because this week I am raising a glass of whiskey to coffee. And I am also raising my glass to all of my fellow coffee nerds out there because, dear Lord, there are millions of you and many of you have sent a ton of suggestions and recommendations my way after our previous Gear 30 episode where Cody Townsend and I talked about coffee makers. That led me this week to going down a massive, massive late-night rabbit hole on coffee makers. And while that definitely left me sleep-deprived this week, it was just a ton of fun. And I know we get a lot of emails from you uh, who write us and they say things like, You know, I've just stayed up all night for four nights in a row, like reading all these different ski reviews on Blister Help sort me out on this. I was kind of in that exact same positions on coffee makers. I'm not going to tell you how many hours I spent online looking at this stuff. But, you know, here's to like the pleasure of exploration and research on these things that we care about, like skiing and like coffee, passions of ours that we love and to the people and the companies making this equipment that gets us to you know a great cup of coffee or a great six cup of coffees a day or you know whatever your current coffee intake looks like or whether you're just trying to get lined up with the perfect perfect ski or ski boot for you but anyway this has been a lot of fun You all have inspired me. I'm making it official. We are going down the coffee rabbit hole on Blister. And so um, stay tuned for more coffee talk, more talk about coffee makers. And, you know, much to Luke Kappa's chagrin when I told him about this earlier today, we're doing this and it's going to be awesome and fun. So here's to all of you fellow coffee dorks out there. And here's to coffee. What a lovely drink. That's what I got this week. And with all that said, that brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30, and if you are enjoying these conversations, then be sure to subscribe to Gear 30, and please leave us that 5-star rating in iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, and tell your friends about all of this Gear 30 goodness, you know? Now, I also want to say thanks to John Weir for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon, as in tomorrow, I think, because we should be dropping a rare Saturday edition of our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, and it is a good one. So subscribe to our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast if you haven't already. And then we will talk to you again tomorrow. Okay, bye-bye, everybody. Good night. Talk to you soon.